0: You are tuned in to the Paris Passages podcast. Thank you so much for letting my show be part of your podcast library. Now here is your hostess with the most mess, Samantha Parrish. Hello and welcome back to the show. I am your hostess for the content that you are currently listening to. If you are new to the show, I will reintroduce myself. I don't mind it. My name is Samantha Parrish, and I am the host of the Paris Passages podcast show. And on this show, there is a wide variety of topics that all has to do with creativity. I commentate about various genres, about various authors, anything that has to do with helping a writer or anybody that is just wanting to share their story. And one part of this show that I love to talk about is my book. I have been an author for about... I would say, a year and a half now. But I began writing in Glorious Inc. in August of 2017. I love the moments that I get to talk about my book. I love being able to commentate about my characters and say how they were created, some of the future plot points that are going to be happening with my book, and there's so much that I want to share. And now I finally have an opportunity now to share that with my author anniversary month. But let me emphasize the synopsis a little bit more about *Inglorious Inc. Because there are some people that have heard of my book, but again, if you are new to the show, I'm going to go ahead and just give the synopsis spiel again. So *Inglorious Inc. is about a young man named Lance Jackson that comes to a sleepy town called Duran. He gets a job as a tattoo artist, and he ends up getting along with some of his very difficult co-workers. And then he ends up finding out what the tattoo shop does for a side business for extra money and now Lance has a choice he can stick with it and just keep going with this and make a lucrative gain or if he messes up he's going back to jail when i talked about this book before on the show all things writing with Brian Nowak Brian Nowak had commented that you really see the shoots and hoops that Lance has to go through and primarily through the book you do follow Lance with what he has to go through and you navigate through him of what the other characters are like. When I created Inglorious Inc., it took me two years to write and I was finally able to publish the book in January of 2020. So I became an author before the pandemic really became a pandemic. Creating Inglorious Inc. became something more than I expected. It was originally just going to be a story about tattoo artists and how they were doing various tattoos for certain characters and then it became a darker story but also with becoming a darker story it became very specific. There was a reasoning behind all of these characters and they really felt like people you would know in real life. Within Gloria Sync, there are major parts of myself that I put in there. I struggle with anxiety. And I put my own personal definition in every single character for what they do with anxiety. I didn't bother trying to paraphrase a definition when I knew I could make my own definition to relate to others. Even the setting of Inglorious Inc. is entirely decorated from my town that I live in within my state of Virginia. Just like how Stephen King always has to make his stuff in Maine, for mine is just decorating uh, my books to all take place in Virginia. And then back onto commentaries. There was also the commentary of family that others that probably struggle with a toxic relationship with their family that may or may not be fixed. There are tough slices of life that go into this book. So there's parts of my own commentary and parts of my own life that go into this book. But there is a major part of this book that is very evident. If there is one major part of myself that I put in there, it is... My knowledge of music and movies. You're never going to find a book that's going to have as much references to music and movies as you're going to find in *Inglorious* Inc. I don't know if there's another one out there, but I'm sure it's going to be existing on that list somewhere once someone finds it. This was something that is an homage to all the things that I love growing up ever since I was a little girl and my mother sat me down to listen to a certain song or she would tell me about a certain movie and I would take all that information in. I have no shame in saying that I do have a fascination with movies. I would say it's more of a healthy obsession because I take my time seriously with what movies I watch. But I have always had an intrigue with how movies were made and how it can entertain someone and what was the purpose of the story within that movie. There is a lot of intrigue in research that I do for a certain film. There's also a lot of research that I do for a certain song. I always want to know the meaning behind a movie or behind a song. There's always a reason why a creator makes something. And I, now as a creator, am going to be sharing why I have certain meanings that are elaborated by music and movies. So this episode is going to be all about those 10 hidden meanings that I put in Inglorious Ink. But with that being mentioned, that I'm going to be talking about parts of my book, that also means that there is going to be some pivotal character reveals, but I'm going to make sure that it's not going to be an entire spoiler. But think of this episode like you're getting 10 sneak peeks about the book. So now, I present to you the 10 hidden meanings of media references in my book, in Glorious Inc. Now, I'm about to get into it, but I feel like it is essential that I go ahead and give the main characters of this book. So these are the names that are going to be mentioned throughout these references. You have your main character, Lance Jackson. Then you have Eleanor Creese that goes by the name Bullet. You have Cassie Cole. Jules Wilkinson, and Lou Vire. The villains are going to be mentioned is a man named Nash Armstrong and another guy named Ennis Beckett. And there is one final character that has one mention in here named Gavin Gibson. Now that you have your main players, let's get into it. So the first reference I'm going to be talking about is in chapter 11 called Terrible in Parallel. In that chapter... Bullet and Lance discover that there is a chicken left in the apartment and they have no idea how the chicken got there. I'm not going to reveal how the chicken got there. I mean, I know how the chicken got there, but it's up to you to find out how the chicken got there once you read the chapter. And when I was creating the chapter, I wanted to have a name for the chicken. I always liked it in certain movies whenever there is an animal that is discovered and they just kind of adopt this animal and go along with it. And then they give the animal a name. And as I was progressing in that chapter, for some strange reason, I couldn't get the movie Chicken Run out of my head. And when it came to me, the first name popped up was the actor that was a voice in the movie Chicken Run. And that actor was Mel Gibson. So in the whole chapter, the chicken is just called Mel. For my friends that read the book, Chapter 10, that is the reason why the chicken is specifically named Mel, it is because it is a direct reference to the movie Chicken Run. I can tell you, though, that was a uh, chapter that really ruffled the feathers of a lot of characters. I'm sorry, I had to get that pun out of the way. Let's move on. For number two, I'm going to be focusing on the chapter called Preheat, which is chapter nine. In chapter nine, to me, it is considered the smartest chapter I've ever done to contextualize around a certain subject without having to say the direct word. So Preheat is a nod to the pregnancy reference called Bun in the Oven. There is another way that I went about saying a character wants to have a baby without having to say the word pregnant, and that is near the end of the chapter of Preheat when Jules and Bullet are talking about Bullet's sister Bonnie that wants to have a baby, Bonnie would like to have a baby just as in vitro. And even though Bonnie is a character that has never really been seen, it is shown that a lot of the characters know who Bonnie is and they care about her situation that she's going through. So as Bullet is sobbing to Jules about how frustrated she is about what's been going on with her sister and how the family isn't really helping out with the whole process, and respecting Bonnie's wishes, Jules responds back by saying this, I just don't understand why Claire's always been so pissed about your sister taking the Murphy Brown route. And then Jules also says, your dad's tapped out, right? Which explains everything with the situation going on there. But for the reference mention, there's a reason why Jules said the Murphy Brown route. It is almost an exact parallel to what... Bullet's sister Bonnie wants to do about being a single mom. So to explain more in that reference, Murphy Brown was a television show back in the late 80s and ran until the 90s and there was a part in the show where the title character Murphy Brown got pregnant and decided to go ahead and just do the single mom life. She was financially capable and she was emotionally ready and she knew that this was something that she wanted but just like what the character Bonnie is going through in my book, in glorious Inc., that also does have a parallel to the fact that in real life, a lot of people did not like the character Murphy Brown being a single mother. They would much rather it be the whole mother and father and a baby, not just a single mom. And it was making a message about how it's not good to have a father in the life. But people make their own choices for what they want to do. And in my book, I chose for Bonnie to be a character that wants to have a baby on her own because I have also heard in my own life about many women that have opted to just go ahead and do the single mom life on their own with in vitro, not ever having to get married. Like I said, Murphy Brown is pretty much an accurate reference to what exactly is going on with one of the characters. So for the third reference to reveal is going back into chapter 11, which is terrible in parallel, there is a section in the book which talks about the jobs that Jules does on the side to go against Lou because he's getting screwed out of some of the jobs and he's got to take work wherever he can get for some extra money. When it is explained about some of the jobs that he does, there is two in particular that is coined. The Debt You taunt and Driving Mr. Diddler. Now, that one is a terrible play on words that came to mind from the film Driving Miss Daisy. It's not one that's really connected to the film. There is no paralleled reference. I just wanted to play around with the title, even though it is awful if you kind of see in between the words what it's mentioning to. But it is a dark book that does go into dark places, so you will find out exactly why. That this particular one is coined driving Mr. Diddler. I can't give away the exact way, but I can definitely tell you that Jules does take care of it. So for the fourth mention is in Chapter 7 called Animals. In the beginning, Lou and Bullet are waiting for a character named Brad George. Now there's something fun that I got to do with this character because I've loved it when other creators will use a name that is actually from another movie and then put it together with the current character as a way of an homage. And that's exactly what I did for Brad George. Brad George is a direct reference to Ocean's Eleven. It is the combination of Brad Pitt and George Clooney, and together it became Brad George. Even though, as a funny thing, I don't really like Ocean's Eleven, but I like what it did And because that this is a book that does deal with crime and Ocean's Eleven is a heist movie, I figured it was perfect. I can excuse the fact that I don't like the movie just to make a nice little nod to it. So now we're on to the fifth reference. In chapter 18, there's a conversation taking place between Lance and Jules in regards to where they have to be for the main conflict of the book that is coming up and they mainly talk about a character named Gavin Gibson that Jules keeps calling Cagney or Lacey. Cagney and Lacey was a female-led procedural cop show about two female cops or detectives, I don't remember which one it was, but they were definitely ladies of the law. It's addressed as a nickname as kind of a mean-spirited thing to the character Gavin Gibson, who is the inside policeman that works within Glory Sync to help them get away with all of the illegal crimes that they do so that way they can't be found out and they won't go to jail. The sixth reference takes place in chapter 19 called Silent Fight. There is a direct reference to The Breakfast Club, and I'm going to go over a little bit more as to why The Breakfast Club actually has a bigger meaning and might just be the biggest reference of meaning in the entire book. So in chapter 19, there is a part where Ennis and Nash have to make their way over to Cassie and Jules's place. Nash says, first we have to make a pit stop. And then Ennis says, where to? And then Nash says, the criminal in the basket case is home. For those who don't know, the basket case and criminal reference is actually the nicknames that are given to two of the characters in The Breakfast Club, John Bender, who is called the criminal, and Allison Reynolds, who is called the basket case, which is the most fitting nickname example and media reference to give Jules and Cassie. Like if someone asked me which movie characters were very similar to my characters, it would be no doubt Jules and Cassie are a lot like John Bender and Allison Reynolds. I made them primarily off of the question, what if John Bender and Allison Reynolds from The Breakfast Club were friends on Monday morning? So if you've ever wanted to know what that kind of looked like, it looks like that. So that is actually the reason why that is probably the most important reference, because it actually has to do with the creation of Cassie and Jules. So for the seventh reference that I'm going to be explaining is going to go back to this one of our previous chapters that was discussed, chapter nine, which is the chapter preheat. And I'm going to be reading the exact paragraph of where this reference is from, but I have to give a little bit of backstory before I read this page. There was an unwelcomed visitor that came to the tattoo parlor that really pissed off bullet and she is struggling to just wind down from what this unwelcomed person said to her. Lance is outside with her having a cigarette and just being quiet as respectful and courteous and also just to check on her and make sure that she's doing okay. Lance is the kind of character that automatically cares for someone else and wants to make sure they're okay. He truly is a character that has a heart of gold. Throughout most of the book, Lance has been living with Bullet until he can find a place of his own and this specific part goes into how much Bullet appreciates him being at the apartment despite the fact that he's only been living there for a couple of weeks and she's only known him for a couple of weeks and shows her appreciation for the fact that it was like a spontaneous thing that had worked out to have a roommate that contributes and it's also a roommate that she works with kind of rare how that works out and she goes on to explain this with this paragraph that I'm about to read to you Bullet exhaled the smoke through her nose as she cocked an eyebrow. Dude, you contribute to my place enough already. You take care of it more than I have in the past years. Hell, Gavin would gladly take you even if you were a fugitive of the law, Bullet said as she knocked him on the shoulder. She was starting to have some color back on her face, more of her personality coming back. But until then, Richard Kimball, you can stay as long as you like. Or forever. That comment made Lance laugh. So that last line that Bullet says where she calls Lance Richard Kimball, that is a reference to the movie called The Fugitive. And that one is one you need to remember for the rest of the book. If I've, I said previously before about how The Breakfast Club was the most important reference to sum up Cassie and Jules. You need to remember that line because it actually has a bigger meaning to Lance's character as well as the fact that it has a very important part later on in the series. And I'm not going to tell you where it is, but I just need to tell you, you need to remember that reference. So for the eighth reference I'm going to be talking about is in chapter six called The Stone Tacos. The Stone Tacos was the funnest chapter I ever wrote for Inglorious Inc because the entire chapter is making fun of music. The Stone Tacos is a fictional band that I created for Inglorious Inc. And they are returning clients that come to Inglorious Inc. to go get their tattoos. And the whole plot of the chapter is that these band members want their band name tattooed on their arms. And they want a taco with a joint because of the play on stoned tacos. I think I'm kind of funny. I thought, I thought it was genius when I first came up with that concept. And almost all of the members of the Stone Tacos are a direct reference to a musician, even right down to how they are explained. And in that chapter, Bullet explains to Lance who they are. She said that there is a lead singer named Ray who doesn't talk much. That is a reference to Ray Charles. There is another member named Ricky, which is a play on Ricky Martin. There is another band member named Corey, which is a reference to Corey Hart, as it is mentioned that he might possibly have a one-hit wonder. Corey Hart, the singer, was known for I Wear My Sunglasses at Night, and that is pretty much the only song that Corey Hart is known for. And then the last member to talk about is Jim, who has a fascination with Jim Morrison, but he doesn't have everything in common with Jim Morrison because Jim is 28 years old. So that is kind of a funny play on to what happened with Jim Morrison being a part of the 27 Club. And then there is a character named Johnny, who is the fifth member of the Stone Tacos, and he does not have any correlation with any other musician named Johnny in music. Johnny was just a nice name to yell at. But if you would like to pick any Johnny you want to relate to the Johnny I have in that story, you are more than welcome to. There are plenty of Johnnies that exist in music. You can pick any of them for the ninth reference has to do with chapter 14. There is a character that is introduced named Dave Lennox. Now that is actually another combo name similar to what I said earlier about Brad George. Dave Lennox is the combination of a first name and a last name from two of the members of the 80s band, the Eurythmics. Dave from Dave Stewart and Lennox from Annie Lennox. And at that time, I was listening to a lot of the Eurythmics when I was writing the book. I decided to do another name combination creation again and decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do that with the Eurythmics. So when you see Dave Lennox's character, know that it is a reference to the Eurythmics. And now we're on to the last reference of Inglorious Inc. And this one has no chapter mentioned at all. This is littered throughout the entire book so I can't give you a specific chapter but I can tell you this all of the towns in *Inglorious* Inc that are mentioned are all named after bands or musicians I mentioned about the fact that it takes place in a town called Duran that is a play on the band Duran Duran which is one of my favorite bands there is also a town that Lance comes from called Odell which is from the musician Tom Odell They also travel to a town called ashbury which is a reference to one of my favorite underrated bands ashbury heights this is one of my favorite little hidden gem styles that i do for all of my writing is finding certain musicians that i loved and just putting that into the book and making that be a reference so whenever you see a town that's mentioned in my book there, it is highly likely that that town is going to be a reference to musician, and if you know your music, then you are going to know that reference. Okay, all right. Whew, that was a lot. Oh no, but I am exhausted. <laughs> that was a lot of references to have to go through. That was the list of the ten hidden gems in *Inglorious Ink*. I am planning on doing another episode like this as soon as the second book is published. Because believe me, I have another chock full of references that I can't wait to share that I put into the second book. I had a lot of fun sharing the secrets as to why I made some of these parts specifically created and what was the reasoning behind some of these references. I love getting to read about that in other people's creations for how they made their content, and I'm so happy that I finally got the chance to do that for my own book. It just You can't see me, but I'm grinning so much and it's just so great. But that is some of the content that I will share about the book. But if you would like to see more, I do have some sneak peeks available on two of the pages that I update. You can check out a lot of the pages that I read on my TikTok, The Mystical Space Witch. And if you would like to see any previews for the book, as well as previews for the next podcast episodes, you can check it out on my Instagram page, at Paris Passages. And that is your episode I have been your hostess. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. There are two more episodes coming up for Inside and Glorious Inc. And I'm excited to share more of my story of how I made my story. Take care and have a great day. Bye-bye.